Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, March the 25th, 2022. It is currently 4.26 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, a few nights ago, it was kind of like a special impromptu late-night broadcast. We started turning our attention to the Bible and ways that you should not handle a difficult scripture. Like when you approach a difficult scripture, we started looking at six ways. That, that's kind of what we, we started with, six. I don't know if we're going to end up with six, but six ways you should not handle a difficult scripture. And the reason we started talking about that is anyone, anyone who claims to be a Christian, anyone, and, and I don't care where you go to church, I don't care how long you've been going to, to church, I don't even care if you've never been to church, if you've ever tried to study the Bible, you're going to realize very quickly that there are passages of Scripture where you're just like, what do I do with that? You're going to realize it's difficult. You're going to realize it's complicated, and you're going to start trying to figure out, hopefully you're going to try to figure out, how should I handle this scripture? How can I figure out what it actually says? How can I figure out what it actually means? And sadly, and and I, and please hear what I'm about to say, in many, I'm not, I'm not giving you a percentage, but in many churches, what you see happen from the pulpit and their handling of Scripture will be of no help to you if you really want to study the Bible and figure out difficult passages of Scripture. Because from many pulpits, they don't eat, they don't really demonstrate good Bible study skills or good hermeneutical skills. They don't really demonstrate them. They don't give you an example of how to do it. They don't even really explain how to do it. And in many cases, the way they handle difficult passages of Scripture is really skipping over it or just barely scratching the surface and moving on as quickly as they can. They don't really stop and dig in. And if the people from if people in the pulpit are not doing it correctly, then what do you expect from the people in the pew? So, we are looking at these wrong ways to handle difficult passage of scripture and I'm going to rely here on the notes of one of our listeners because one of our listeners took good notes to that kind of impromptu live broadcast. In fact, I, I didn't have any notes. I didn't write any notes down. So I was very grateful that someone was taking notes. So I'm going to go back and review those notes to kind of get us where we need to be. And I'm using an article that I, I, I don't even remember when I found the article, but I found an article about the wrong ways to handle difficult passages of scripture. But he, immediately when we started that impromptu broadcast, in my mind, I was just going to come up here and say, hey, I found this article. Here are six ways we shouldn't handle, here are six ways we should not handle a difficult scripture. But as soon as I got ready to start the article, again, it's impromptu, I was like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, the first thing, the first wrong way is this, which is not even in the article. And so the next thing you know, I was really kind of just rewriting the article live on the air. So it's going to be a mixture of my thoughts with this article. But here's the bottom line is I want you to have in your mind, a kind of a list of things not to do when you face a difficult passage of Scripture, right? If you can eliminate all the wrong ways to handle a difficult Scripture, then at least you'll then 
be left with only the right ways to handle the difficult. If we can eliminate all the wrong ways and everyone's using the right way, that would probably solve a lot of disagreement and dispute, right? Like Because a lot of times the dispute, I, I think this is a very important principle. I've said this so many times. Like when people are arguing maybe about biblical prophecy, eschatology, ecclesiology, you just name the subject. A lot of times when people start arguing, and it took me a long time to figure this out, and I, and I think sometimes when I explain this, I think some Christians get it. I think some Christians don't really understand what I'm saying. So let me try this again, because I think it's a very important principle. So many disagreements within Christianity that divides the body of Christ. And, and, and if, you'll, if you'll listen, when Christians start arguing with one another, right? It doesn't matter if it's on social media. It doesn't matter in person. When they start going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, what happens is everyone like, well, what about this scripture? What about this scripture? No, what about this scripture? No, what about this scripture? Well, what about this scripture? No, that, that scripture doesn't mean that. Well, you know, you're, and it just goes back and forth, back and forth. And basically no one's really listening to each other. And in many cases, the reason... The reason quoting all of those scriptures doesn't really resolve anything is because both the, the, the two individuals involved in the disagreement are five or ten or who, however many it may be, an entire denomination, whoever it may be, that they really have not agreed on the way to what method of interpretation they're using. In other words, they haven't really what, – what you have to do is you've got to set aside the – think about it this way. You've got to set aside the disagreement. And then first began going, okay, how are we going to approach this text of scripture, right? So what's your method of hermeneutics? What's your method of interpretation? All right, have we done, have we done some basic Bible study observational exercises on this passage of scripture? Have we both read it five times? Have we both considered the historical and textual context? Have we looked at the language? Like you have to do, you, before you can argue about the it's almost everyone wants to argue about the interpretation or argue about the subject or argue about the conclusion but really you got to stop arguing and go okay where let's go back to the beginning okay so how many times have you read the passage of scripture okay how how, this how many times i've read it okay can we agree to set aside all commentaries and all sermons and everything that we've ever heard yes okay so first let's do observational methods of bible study so then you start with your observational steps you work through all of your observational steps. Okay, then you do your background, historical, textual, content, all of that. Okay, now, now what, what do we have? Now, if you still are in agreement with what you have, then you can begin to move to the interpretive steps, trying to figure out what, what steps people are using in their interpretation. And then I think maybe you're going to come to some kind of an agreement, but everyone just wants to argue, no, it means this. No, it means this. You're wrong. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. Well, look, here, here's a commentary. No, no, here's, here's my favorite preacher. And then they start cutting and pasting articles. And it's just, you just sit there and watch the argument unfold. And all you can, at least for me, all I, all I can say is meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. All is meaningless, right? Because it's just... It just goes in circles and circles and circles and circles and circles and circles and circles. And, circles and, circles and, circles and, circles and it's just like, oh, no, no, no. We get a, we get a fear. Okay. What's the passage of scripture? All right. Now, what approach are you taking? What approach am I taking? Okay. And then you have to step, move forward, but that's not usually what happens. So, so many times I, I think every disagreement about scripture is really, the issue is not the, the doctrine, not the theology, it's a hermeneutical issue. It's a Bible study issue. 
That's the real issue. It's hermeneutics. It's Bible study. That's the real issue. So we have to eliminate all the wrong ways to handle the difficult passage, then establish a list of the right way, and then when people are arguing, let's go back to those issues, Bible study skills and interpretive methods. I, I just, I, I hope that makes sense. I think some people get what I'm saying, but then immediately the next time they're in an argument, it turns into, I don't know why. It's just, it's just crazy when you watch it uh, unfold, but I, I hope that this will be beneficial. So here's what we established. All right. And thanks to, to Twyla for this. All right. The six wrong ways to handle difficult scriptures. We're probably going to end up more <laughs> with more than six, but here we go. The first, this is the wrong thing to do. The, 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 and I'm saying number one because it was the first one we look, looked, looked at, but in some ways it may be number one because I think so many people rely on this. The first wrong thing to do when you are confronted with a difficult passage of scripture is to look back to any studies you've done on the passage before. Past study is of no value for interpretation today. Past study is of no value today. Your understanding yesterday is of no value in seeking understanding today. And here's the reason why. The person who did that study in the past, the person who came to those conclusions, the person who came to that understanding, well, guess what? They are fallible. And I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me. We're fallible. So whatever we studied in the past, there's a, there's a probability that we were wrong. There's a probability that we may have handled the text incorrectly or that we relied too heavily on what someone else was saying and we didn't actually study it. There could be a million factors that went wrong. If you rely on the past, then you can never move forward in the present because all you do is stay stuck and the past. So here's what some do. They, they come to an understanding of a passage of scripture, and that's just what they stick with over and over and over, and they constantly go back to what they learned in the past. Many pastors, let's say they preached on Romans five years ago, and then they come back to Romans, they'll just pull out their old notes. That is, that's malpractice. That is wrong. If your pastor is pulling up his old sermon notes to preach a sermon in the present, to me, that's malpractice, and he's not helping you. You're relying on his past understanding. Well, he was fallible. What if he was wrong in the past? You want him studying the text today because he may need to change what he, what he understands today, right? So the first wrong thing to do is to rely on the past, right? Number two, avoid. The first thing people do, they, here's a difficult passage, and they look back to their past understanding. Number two, they avoid them. They avoid them. Now, I may change this up a little bit for your outline. Um, I, I think I grouped two things here. But the first thing is they avoid them. Here's the difficult passage, and they find a way to avoid it. And they find a way to avoid it uh, for a, a, a couple of reasons, all right? Um, and here's a couple of things. They avoid, because of a difficulty, 
they, they, in other words, it's difficult, so they're going to avoid it because it's just, it's just too difficult. They, it's, it's going to raise too many questions. It's going to cause problems. It's going to cause issues. So they just decide, you know what? I don't want to get involved in all of the controversy. I don't want to deal with it. And many churches will deal that, will do, do with that. There'll be a controversial passage, and they'll be like, well, there's a lot of disagreement over it, but I don't really... I don't really think it's that big a deal. Here's an easy answer, and everybody just moves on. There's nothing to get upset about. Instead of going, hey, guys, this is a very difficult passage, and this is going to raise millions of questions. It may cause all kinds of problems, but you know what? We're going to have to face it, and we're going to have to struggle through it. So everyone be godly in their attitude and their approach, and let's work through it. But some people will try to avoid it because, uh, because it's difficult. Uh, some will, uh, some will, uh, try to av- avoid it, uh, by, by pretending that it's, uh, that it's not that hard. And some ways that's in a way of avoidance. Hey, everyone says this passage is so hard, but if you really think about it, it's not. Here's the simple answer. And everyone's sitting in the pew and many kids are like, amen. See, it's not that complicated. No, that's avoidance. All right. That's avoidance. All right. And so, and there's, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm just going through some of their notes. Some will skip it. Some people will just skip it. They're like, I, I don't, that's di- just kind of move on. So there's a lot of different ways of avoiding it. All right. I'm not going to go through every one of the notes, but there you go. All right. Okay. Um, another thing people do. So, so they will either look back to the past. They will simply find a way to avoid it. There's a lot of things we could say here. All right. Next, they will uh, not observe what is clear or, okay, we'll, we'll just, I'm going to break these down. We're going to end up more with six. I'm changing, I'm changing Twyla's notes. <laughs> okay, I'm changing Twyla's notes. Uh, we, so the third thing we do is we, we have a tendency not to observe what is clear. What do I mean by that? All right, so we come to a difficult passage of scripture and we're like, man, this this is crazy. This, this talks about election. This talks about predestination. Uh, this talks about baptism. This talks about speaking in tongues. This talks about the Lord's Supper, whatever the case may be. And man, th- this, this, this just is so crazy. And so you get so caught up in the difficulty. You get so caught up in the questions and the disagreements and the controversy that you fail to go focus on what is clear in the passage. The wrong thing to do in a difficult passage is to immediately run to the difficulty. You've got to step back from the difficulty and say, okay, what is clear? What is obvious in this passage of scripture? What is clear and obvious here? And the reason you need to do that is when you start, in a sense, climbing that ladder to try to figure out this difficult, controversial mess at some point, you're going to probably realize you may cannot come up with a good answer, or you may almost just, in a sense, fall off the ladder because you don't know what to do. You need a foundation to land on. And you're like, you know what? I can't figure that out, but here's what I do know about the passage. I don't know what in the world to do with that. Everyone seems to disagree. There's been no agreement in 2,000 years of church history, but this is very, very, very clear. Focus on what is clear establish what is clear, observe what is clear before you go face the difficulty. What many people do is they, they don't observe what is clear and they, they go right to the unclear. Now, some will exaggerate what is unclear. Those like, this is so complicated. And then act like, and then basically 
then make themselves as the one who has all the answers, all right? But so not observing what is clear. Another thing, another thing people will do is assume, and this is a wrong approach, that correct interpretation is simple and it is easy. Some people will just assume that a correct interpretation, oh, well, the Bible is clear, we can get into a whole discussion of perspicuity of the scriptures and that whole doctrinal position. But many people say, well, no, God gave us his word. It is clear. It's easy to understand. So the correct uh, uh, interpretation is simple or easy. And if you're sitting there finding all of these difficulties, it's either you're just, you just don't have enough faith or you just don't understand. Like they'll, they'll almost like anyone who struggles and has problems will immediately be looked at as if, well, you don't have faith. Questions should be accepted and celebrated because in some cases, the interpretation is not easy. We can't just assume or force everyone to think that the interpretation is easy because in many cases, it is not, all right? Now, that's kind of a a poor review. The more I'm looking at those notes, there's a lot I would have changed. Remember, that was all done impromptu. So let's go back to the article, all right? Here we go. Number, uh, what I don't even know what number this would be. I guess technically, technically it would be number five. I guess technically it would be number five, but you can write down whatever number. Here we go. Another thing people have a tendency to do. Uh, there's so much here I want to read that we didn't talk about. All right, but, but we'll, we'll just skip that for now. Here we go. Are you ready? Here's, here's another wrong thing to do. Assume... That correct interpretation is inaccessible. Or assume that correct interpretation is impossible. This is, this is how this article reads. When it comes to difficult text and debated doctrine, Christians often say, the church has disagreed on these issues for thousands of years. If they couldn't figure it out, neither will we. While I appreciate the apparent humility of such a statement, it does betray an unbiblical fatalism towards the possibility of knowing God's word on certain issues. Yet we have a good reason to believe that what God has revealed, he wants us to know. Now, it is true that the secret things belong to the Lord, Deuteronomy 29, 29. And we will not answer every question. God's revelation calls for our diligent study We should expect that individual believers and the church as a whole can and will grow in their understanding of God's word over time. So we cannot say, this is is just the wrong approach. You know what? It's just inaccessible. It's impossible. We can just never figure it out. Now, you, you may have to say, this is the best we can do now. Sometimes you just got to realize, hey, I don't know the answer now. And you just got to move on. That doesn't mean you never come back around to that passage. It just means that you may have to just say, time to move on. I've done the best I can. Sometimes when we're teaching through a book, I'll have to just say, look, guys, I, I don't, this is the best I can give you. That doesn't mean that it's inaccessible. It just means it may be impossible right now. So don't ever think it's impossible. Just acknowledge it's extremely difficult. It may be extremely unlikely we're going to come to a good conclusion. And we can acknowledge that no one has been able to agree in 2,000 years. We can agree with all of that. But I don't want it to become a fatalistic thing like, well, that's just too difficult. Nobody can understand. Next, move on. No, 
When you realize that it's been that complicated and that much disagreement, it should bother you. And you should say, okay, we've got to keep working on it. Now, at some point you have to move on, but don't give in to a fatalistic, it's just impossible. Just don't, don't do that. All right. All right. Next. So that's number, uh, whatever number it is. We assume the, the correct interpretation is just inaccessible. It's impossible. Another wrong thing to do. Now this, now these next two, these next two, I would not in any way, shape or form have even thought about, but I'm going to give you them as they're written in this article. And then I'll, I'm, I'm going to kind of process my thoughts here live on the air. And then I'll, I'll probably add a couple of, at least one or two more here at the end. Okay. So here we go. Are you ready? We research the text like a cold technician. They're saying this is a wrong thing to do. Sometimes when we find a difficult passage of scripture, some people will begin to approach it like a cold technician. Now, what do they mean by this? I don't know if I agree with this one, but let's see what they have to say. Some Christians enjoy the science of interpretation. All right. I got to stop right here. I got to raise my hand here and say that I'm guilty because I love the science of interpretation. I love it. I love the science of interpretation and interpreting uh, lyrics to, to music. I love the science of interpretation of interpreting a movie or a TV show or a novel. I love exploring and, and, and film analysis. I love studying film analysis. And if I watch a movie, I understand the significance of the opening scene, which in many cases either symbolizes or tells the whole story of the movie. And in many cases, the very opening scene is the very key to helping you understand what a movie is actually about. And I love when I walk out of a movie, other people are like, I don't even understand. I'm like, it was right there in the first 30 seconds. The opening scene is how you interpret it. I love the science of interpretation, and I love the science of interpretation of interpreting the Bible. So I, I, now some people don't. I love all of that. I, you just, it doesn't matter. Lyrics, movie, TV show, book, novel, everything. I love the science of interpretation. Now, are they going to say something negative about this? Is there, but let me ask you a question. Is there, is there a negative that can arise from though, is there a negative that those of us who love the science of interpretation need to be aware of? Well, let's see what they have to say. Difficult passages don't discourage those kinds of Christians because they enjoy new discoveries, right? For those of us who love the science of interpretation, it, it, we don't get discouraged by a difficult passage. We don't get, I may get frustrated and discouraged at the fact that there's 927,000 different interpretations in the body of Christ. That bothers me, okay? Because you're like, man, as Christians who've been studying the Bible for 2,000 years, you think we could figure this out. That discourages me, but I, I don't get discouraged by the fact that the Bible is difficult. Because, I mean, how many times, 4th of July, you'll you see here, or, or even at a, a political rally, someone playing Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen, and you go, like, you're like, what in the world? Do, 
have you listened to those lyrics? That's not like, yay, America is great. I mean, have you listened to the actual lyrics or some, I mean, this is, this is dated, but someone, you know, dedicating every breath you take by the police to their, uh, their, their boyfriend or their girlfriend. And because you want to immediately call that boyfriend or girlfriend and go, Hey, the person who you're dating, they're a stalker. Get away. Cause that song is not a love song. That song is about obsession and trying to possess someone and every breath you take, every move you make, I'll be there. It's not a beautiful sentiment. It's a creepy, dangerous kind of love in that song, but people will misinterpret it, right? So I get discouraged by people's misinterpretation. I do. Um, And so I enjoy the new discovery. I enjoy trying to figure it out. I enjoy trying to figure it out. So let's go through this again. Some Christians enjoy the science of interpretation and difficult passages don't discourage them because they enjoy new discoveries. It's as if they're in the lab and the Bible is a specimen under a microscope. All right. I can see that as a potential danger, right? In other words, it, it's a, the, the Bible becomes a puzzle to solve. Right, let's see where they're going to go with this. But we must be cautious about coming to complex text in God's word as a cold technician. Isolating the problem and identifying the solution without a view towards the care of our souls could be a dangerous thing. We should be wary of scientific diagnosis or endless speculation, especially if it's absent of a warmed heart and, 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 and besides and any uh, bedside manner that demonstrates genuine love for others and ultimately for God. The aim of our change, Paul says, is love. All right, so let, let's, let's think about this. For those of us who love, now, I, I can relate to this one. For those of us who love the puzzle, who love it, who just relishes it, have a, have a great time trying to figure it out and question and question and question and question, it is true that sometimes when I'm done with that kind of passage of scripture, I'm like, man, that was fun. That was awesome. I tried to figure that out and I think I came up with a good interpretation and I almost walk away satisfied, kind of patting myself on the back. I'm satisfied with the interpretation, but sometimes then that's all it becomes. I solve the puzzle, but at some point, once the puzzle is solved, you've got to not leave the puzzle. You now need to spend time with it, with application. This is the thing, the danger of focusing on simply interpreting it, not applying it because interpretation without application equals abortion. I've interpreted it. I didn't apply it. So I abort the text of scripture from leading to any transformation of mind, heart, and attitude. Once I've solved the puzzle, then I need to go, okay, what do I do with that? And if you're not careful, it will just make you spiritually arrogant that you've solved the puzzle and all of these other people are dumb and didn't solve the puzzle. The passage should make you love God more, love others more, see your sin, humble you, expose your pride, move you to greater service and passion for God. It has to move to something 
the, the goal of Bible study is not simply interpretation. The goal of Bible study is to gr- learn to grow in your in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the wrong approach is just to approach it just for the pure purpose of of solving the puzzle. That's something we all have to work on. Or I take that back. No. Some people are really good at maybe trying to get to the heart of the verse and trying to go, man, this really convicted me, but their understanding of it is all messed up. That's not good. But we can learn from them to try to find the heart of the message. On the other hand, there are those of us who are good at figuring out the puzzle, but we may miss the heart of the message. You need both kinds of people. You need both. The people who are not good at solving the puzzle need to learn from the puzzle solvers. Those who are good at solving the puzzles need to learn from those who really find the heart of the message and find conviction and action to take. I think that's very important, right? Let's go to the next one. The next one is approach the Bible a question the Bible as judge and jury. What do they mean by this? Approach the Bible or question the Bible like we're the judge and the jury. See what they have to say here. Perhaps the most dangerous way to approach a difficult text is as a judge and jury. We can easily study the Bible in such a way that we preside in judgment over it, as if we're the ultimate arbiter arbiter of what is true, right, and good. Now, sometimes it's easy to do this. We, We always have to ask ourselves this. Is the Bible over us, right? I'm holding the Bible over my head. Or if I put the Bible on the ground, is the Bible under my feet? Now, this is a big question and a sense in the Reformation, right? Was the church over the Bible or was the Bible over the church? The Protestant Reformation argued the Bible is over the church. The church doesn't judge the Bible. The Bible judges the church. Do you find yourself judging Scripture or do you let Scripture judge you? We sometimes approach... Now, listen, I have no problem. Now, this is... I want to make sure we find balance in all of these. I got no problem you reading the Bible going, man, that passage bothers me. That passage upsets me. That passage is hard. I don't like that passage. It's one thing to acknowledge your dislike, your struggle. You may find that the story is horrible and horrifying. It's, I think you should acknowledge that and admit that. I think that's a good thing. But you become judge and jury when you decide you don't like the passage. Then you judge the passage as being not pleasing, not right. You're not going to follow it. And then as a jury, you basically declare a verdict saying, we're not, we're, we don't have to follow that. We can just disregard that. The, it's one thing to acknowledge the difficulty with the passage and even to acknowledge that you don't like it in your flesh, but that, but then you still bow to its judgment. Let's see what else they go on to say here. All right. Instead, this is what they say. We must allow God to sit in judgment over us, uh, us through sacred scripture. His word is what discerns the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Exposing our sin 
alongside his provision of salvation. When we confront difficult texts, therefore we must be careful not to cross-examine the witness of God. We are ultimately the ones in need of scrutiny, not the other way around. As a Christian, look, we can acknowledge the, the story. We're like, well, this story is messed up. I don't like this story. I don't know what's going on here. It bothers me. But at some point, look, my options are, it's God's word. I submit to it and I follow it. Or I just abandon God's word. Like some people don't like what God's word has to say. So then they almost want to judge it. You're not the one to judge it. Now, if you don't like it, you're free obviously to walk away from it. But you can't just like, well, I'm just, you know, nope. Whatever. No, no, no. It's not whatever. Either the Bible is true and it's the judge or you're true and you're the judge. And I'm going to go with the Bible being true and the judge since I believe it's the infallible, inspired, inerrant word of God. And I don't believe you're infallible or inerrant or inspired. So I'm going to go with God's word. But we can, we all can make ourselves the judge of it. Right? You, I, I, and now, for those who are not reformed, uh, this I don't want to get into a discussion about our, our views on reform on reformed view of soteriology or salvation. But I, I know I've seen people do this. They'll read passages about, say, the doctrine of election. And they'll say, well, my God would never, would never do that. And you're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your God? <laughs> like, like you own God and you decide what God will or will not do. You don't approach scripture by saying, well, my God would never do that. God would never do. Uh, no, 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 no. You approach the Bible, and let the Bible speak about what God does, says, and think, and you submit to that. You don't force God into your box. It doesn't work that way, right? So the wrong thing is for you to basically approach the Bible like you're the judge and you're the jury. All right, now. They've got two paragraphs here on the right way to handle God's word, but I'm going to throw in another wrong way. And I know this is going to be extremely controversial, but this is so very important, all right? A wrong way to approach difficult passages of scripture. Oh, I'm going to get some emails on this, but I'm going to stand by this. I know it's controversial and I know people are going to disagree, but I, I've just, I, I think I can prove this with just reality of life. Here's a wrong way to approach it. Well, whenever I come with a difficult passage of scripture, what I do is I simply pray about it and I wait for, for the Holy Spirit to guide me or to give me the truth. I 1000% reject that and believe that is a wrong way. And here is the reason I say this. Number one, if it was that simple, that all we have to do is when we have a difficult passage of scripture is we just pray about it and God somehow gives us the answer or leads us to an answer. Um, Well, why then for 2000 years of church history, we can't find agreement on really anything. Now, what you're going to say is, well, see, that person came to a different, uh, they came to the wrong conclusion. They weren't listening to the Holy Spirit. So wait a minute. So only the people who agree with you hear the Holy Spirit. What if the, the other people who supposedly prayed and listened to the Holy Spirit, what if they heard the Holy Spirit and you didn't hear the Holy Spirit? So who knows? You see how just utterly subjective and crazy this became? So you prayed and listened to the Holy Spirit and that's your conclusion. That That's what that verse means. Well, I prayed and this is the conclusion. So who heard the Holy Spirit? Everyone's going to walk away going, I heard the Holy Spirit and they told me, and not they, the Holy Spirit told me this is the way to, uh, to interpret the passage. And then how did you hear the Holy Spirit? Typically, 
Now, charismatics may say a voice, a vision, but most many non-charismatic who are still really using charismatic theology is like a still small voice or a feeling. Well, how are you going to know that still small voice or feeling is God? I'll just give you an example. I've been, I said, what, I got seven, I think seven different degrees. Uh, see, I've got master's, I've got bachelor's, I've got associates, everything from religious education, biblical studies, theological studies. Okay, and guess what? And not one school, not, and not at any time in any school that I ever attended, whether in person or online or no matter or correspondence, no matter what, how I attended the school, either in my own personal life or my fellow students, did we ever come into class and go, okay, we're getting ready to have a test here on Genesis or a test here in Greek or a test here in Hebrew or, or whatever we were getting ready to study and someone could just say, I'm going to pray and the Holy Spirit's going to give me all the answers and going to guide me to all truth. No, it never worked. People failed tests all the time, got bad grades on papers. And we're literally in Bible college and seminary. It doesn't work that way. It's just crazy. So when when Christians tell me that, I'm like, so all I needed to do in Bible college was just pray and the Holy Spirit would give me the answer? Well, no, 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 no. Well, wait a minute. You just said when you have a difficult passage of scripture, you just pray and God leads you to the answer. Like, well, then why didn't he lead me to all the answers in Bible college? He doesn't do that. It's not the way it works. I know someone's going to run to the Bible where it talks about the Holy Spirit guiding you all into truth. That is for the apostles. That was for to guide the apostolic authority, which was going to be needed for the early church because we didn't have a closed canon. And for those who are going to be literally writing scripture, he was going to guide them into all truth. It clearly is not a principle that is applicable to us today, or we would all agree Christianity would agree on baptism. Christianity would agree on church government. Uh, Christianity would agree on the Lord's Supper. Christianity would agree on salvation. Christianity would agree on prophecy. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on and on, but there's disagreement, disagreement, disagreement. It doesn't work that way. You don't pray and look for a feeling. No, you're going to interpret the Bible. The right way to approach the Bible is through the basic rules of biblical observation, biblical interpretation, or, or just for, forget biblical observation, interpretation, like you would observe and interpret anything that is written. Augustine, uh, Augustine made these, uh, these same hermeneutical principles in his book on hermeneutics, which we were working through as a church. We need to get back to that book. Um, but he made this, the, the rules you learn and how to interpret anything. When you first started learning to read, those are the rules that apply to interpreting the Bible. I know it's a shocking concept, but Augustine understood that. So that's a wrong thing to do is, is just, just this weird, everyone wants to make it something mystical, like it's some mystical thing, right? You know, it's like, okay, it's mystical. All right, I don't understand about, pray, pray, pray. And then I'm like, okay, and what's supposed to happen? You got a feeling. Well, clearly your feeling was wrong because that's the most messed up interpretation I've ever seen. But here's what happens. The minute you start thinking God is the one giving you your interpretation, In theory, what you're claiming is that your interpretation is infallible because it came from God. See, if I stand behind the pulpit and say, I would, I would, we came to a difficult passage here, but I've prayed about it, and here's what God has shown me. I'm telling everyone in the pew, you can't question my interpretation. I got it from God. 
I think that's spiritually manipulative. I think that's spiritually dangerous. And I think it's spiritually abusive because no one can question then the leadership's interpretation because they supposedly got it from God. You need to run from that as fast as you can. That's cult-like. That's Roman Catholicism. The magisterial authority, that they're the ones who have the right to interpret the Bible. The Holy Spirit's going to lead them. Whether you can't question the Catholic Church because it comes from God. Well, no, you, if I was to say, okay, so then you listen to the Pope, you're going to tell me, no, he's a false teacher. Well, wait a minute. They believe the Holy Spirit's leading them into interpreting the Bible. Maybe you're the one wrong. Maybe Luther was wrong and the Catholic Church was right. Like, no, 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 no. Well, if once you bring in the Holy Spirit is the one helping us figure it out, it's a free for all. Everyone who, everyone can claim that their interpretation came from God. And he said, well, no, well, now we have to check it on these other, if you've got to then supposedly check the Holy Spirit using typical basic rules of interpretation, well, then guess what? That's what you have to use to interpret it in the first place. All right, I, I, I cannot stress that enough. And they end the article this way. As we read and teach from challenging passages in God's word, we must not miss the clear message of the gospel. It is of first importance. However, when the spotlight is on the cross, obscure and difficult passages don't disappear in its shadow. That is true. We believe God has given all his word, even challenging passages, to reveal himself in his will. And those who humbly and expectantly want to receive what God has given, we should seek his help as we do the hard work to understand the Bible accurately and communicate it with others lovingly. Again, here the problem I have with that phrase is we seek God's help. How do you seek God's help? Now, I got no problem praying, saying, Lord, help me in my study to be focused Help me to remember right under, uh, right principles of interpretation. Uh, help me stay determined. Help me stay humble. You know, like we can pray for the, for our specific ways of thinking and attitude. But when it comes like, well, I asked God to help me, and here's the conclusion I came to. Therefore, it must come from God. Do you, you do you realize what you just said? You just said you now have an infallible interpretation. See, the minute you claim your interpretation came from God. You've just set yourself up as, I am the Pope. And we don't have popes. We have sinners who are fallible, trying to interpret the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God. And we're always going to be messy and make a million mistakes in the process. But we have to work together to do the best we can. So what do we have to do? We've got to get rid of all of these wrong ways. And the wrong ways that we've talked about today are um, assume correct interpretation is impossible or inaccessible. uh, Research the text like a cold technician. In other words, we focus so much on the interpretation, we forget the application. We approach the Bible as a judge and jury, um, and we then seek supposedly some mystical way of getting an understanding. Those are all the wrong ways of approach. Now, I know we did a little bit of review Um, at the beginning of this, you can go back and listen to part one, and then you can hear everything we said in that impromptu message. All right. No one said anything in the chat. No one asked a question. So I'm going to assume everyone benefited greatly from this. All right. We'll stop right there. Just keep you a list of of the wrong ways to approach the scripture so that you can constantly remind yourself, don't do that. Don't do that. And if you can stay away from all the wrong ways, you'll be one step closer to handling the text 
correctly. Remember, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And we always want to approach it the right way. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. You can email me at newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. God bless.